and we greatly appreciate your being here. We are in part two of a three-part series called This Is Us, and this is a message series about us. More specifically, this is a message about human nature and what we're like, and even more specific than that, this is a message series where we're seeking to answer the question, are we people, are we basically good? Because we've heard this said, we've heard this statement that people are basically good, and we've certainly seen plenty of examples of people being good and doing good deeds and tremendous acts of self-sacrifice, but are we basically good? Is there a difference between being capable of good and being good, being good in our nature? And so that's the question we're seeking to answer as we move throughout this series. Last week I shared with you as we started part one of this series that um, I was brought up in a church setting, and from a very young age, I was taught uh, what's referred to as the central message of Christianity. I was taught the gospel or the good news, and I had some adults in my life tell me that Jesus loved me and that God sent Jesus down to this earth to die on a cross for me. He died for my sins, and if I receive that gift, then I get to go to heaven when I die. That if I put my trust in Jesus as opposed to trusting in my own capacity for goodness, then I will go to heaven when I die. That's what I was taught. As a kid, I said, sign me up. Done deal. Fantastic. No hesitation, right? And why wouldn't, why wouldn't everybody sign up for this? And then you get a little bit older and you realize that there are plenty of reasons why people don't automatically sign up for that deal. Don't automatically say yes to receiving Jesus as they say. Maybe three, three reasons last week why people don't automatically sign up for this deal and accept Jesus as their Savior, put their trust in Him. Uh, one reason is they just question the validity of the message. It's obvious. They question, did this really happen? I hear what you're saying. You're claiming this happened, but is this the question the validity of the message? That makes sense. Another reason why is that people fear change. So wait a minute. If I say yes to this deal, if I accept Jesus as my Savior, that's going to make me into a Christian, and how is that going to change me? That's a valid concern, and we'll talk about that next week a little bit, about how you will change when we say, how we do change when we say yes to Jesus as our Savior. But there's a bigger reason than all those, those other reasons. I think the biggest reason why we, in general, we, we overall, don't automatically say yes to receiving Jesus as our Savior, and it's based on this belief that we are basically good. And if we see ourselves as being basically good, then we don't see ourselves as needing a Savior. There's this belief that's so prevalent in the human heart that we are basically good. There's this, and, and maybe you're the exception to that, but there's this belief that so many people hold on to, this belief that if there is a heaven, then I've got to be good enough to get in. And so that's why it's so important that we ask this question, are we basically good? Because if we're not, we need some kind of intervention. We need someone to come in and save us. If we're not basically good, then we do indeed need a Savior. Several years ago, I heard this theory about human nature, and it stuck with me. It goes a little bit like this. It's that people aren't basically good. We've just been taught how to behave ourselves. All right, so that's the theory. People aren't basically good. We've just been taught how to behave ourselves. People aren't basically good. We just know how to be polite, right? People aren't basically good. We just know how to be, and I think that's true even here in Delco. We know how to be polite, right? That's why we'll hold the door for you when you're walking in the Wawa, right? And then we'll run you over in our car as you're trying to get out of the parking lot. But we know, in theory, we know how to be polite. It's not that we're good. We just know how to be polite. People aren't basically good. We just act good because we fear the consequences of doing wrong. So that's the theory. And so we're going to have a little um, thought exercise this morning. I'd like you all to use your imaginations with me. I'd like you to play along this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. I've got a question for you to consider, all right? 
And so it's up to you whether or not you play along, but I want you to consider this. If you could get away with doing any one thing, what would you do? If you could get away, hello, I see some smiles, some of you are thinking already. If you could get away, okay, with doing any one thing, what would you do? God's going to give you a pass, and these church people aren't going to find out about it, and your pastor's not going to find out about it. If you could get away with doing any one thing, no consequences, what would you do? I'll raise the stakes a little bit. You could even, after you've done this thing, you could even hit the reset button, and it's like you never even did it, right? That means you could walk right up to your boss's face and just tell that person off, reset, like it never even happened, right? What's the one, if you could get away with any one thing, what's the one thing you would do? Now, here's what I'd like you to do. Turn to the person next to you and tell you, no, don't do that, don't do that, I'm joking, (laughs) I'm joking, I'm joking. But do you still think that we're basically good, or or perhaps is it that we've just learned how to control those urges, how how we've learned how to control ourselves? Last week, we began looking at this story, this account of Adam and Eve that's contained in Genesis, and I made this point that there are Christian people, again, people who believe that Jesus is their Savior, people who have accepted Jesus as their Savior, that read the story of Adam and Eve, and they take that figuratively. They believe it's a folktale designed to teach us some lessons about human nature. There are other people like myself who take the story literally, who believe this is a historical account, and these are the first two people, but we're not here to to really debate Today, today we're focused on the lessons that we learn from this account of Adam and Eve. And so last week, we saw God create the heavens and the earth. He created this paradise for Adam and Eve, and He gave them this one rule. Not Ten Commandments, not 600 and some laws, just one rule to follow. You see, you see that tree there in the center of the garden? Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Any other trees up for grabs, it's fine, but just, just that one, don't eat from that tree. And so what do Adam and Eve do? They break their one rule, okay? This is us. This is human nature, right? And so they eat the fruit from the tree. And why do they eat it? Because there was the snake. There was that, that personification of evil. There was Satan himself, in my opinion. Satan was there and said, if you eat this, you're going to be like God. And so it's not as if the fruit was just tasty. Oh, that looks really, oh, that's very enticing. I really want that apple or whatever kind of fruit it was. No, it's they wanted to be like God. Again, this is us. We want to be gods over our own lives. We want final say over how we live our lives. And so they ate the fruit. Let's see what happens next. The passage that Bob read for us this morning, Genesis 3, beginning with verse 8. Then the man, this is after they ate the fruit, after their eyes were opened, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What kind of sense does that make? You can't hide from God. You can't hide what you're doing from God. They know that. And yet in this futile attempt to to cover up, they attempt to hide from God. But the Lord God called the man, where are you, As as if God didn't know. Parents, have you done this kind of thing where you ask your children a question? It's rhetorical because you already know the answer. What have you done here? What's going on here? Who left this milk out? You already know the answer, but you're asking the question. So God asked the question, where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. That fear has entered into the equation. Just, just moments before they, they ate the fruit, they enjoyed this fellowship, this community, this relationship with God, and now something new has entered into 
of Adam. So there he is. He said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God knows the answer to this question. Have you eaten this fruit? Verse 12, the man said, look at the first two words. The man said, the woman! The woman! He didn't say, you know, you got me, you gave me a rule and I broke it, and I'm sorry, this is... No, the, the, the woman! I mean, God, it was just me and the animals, and I was just here, and then this woman comes along, and she, she tricks me. After, after this encounter with God, I think that Adam and Eve really could have used some counseling. Can you imagine the conversation? Did you just try to blame this on me, right? And so what does Adam say? The woman you put here with me. He's blaming Eve. He's blaming God. And God says to Adam, are you serious, dude? I'm the one that told you not to eat that fruit. I'm the one that tried to protect you, and you're blaming me? That's my paraphrase, or at least that's what I would have said if I was God. That's what you would have said if you were God. Are you serious right now? I have your best interest in mind. I'm the one that tried to protect you. I'm the one that gave you the boundary. One rule for your own sake. And now you're trying to pin this on me. This, this is human nature. This is us. Now last week I talked about how we want to be God to some degree. I mean, we don't want God's burdens. We don't want God's responsibilities. But, but my goodness, can you imagine what it's like to be God? To receive so little credit and so much blame. God, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you intervene? So much, so much blame and so little credit. And so that's, <clears throat> that's what Adam has to say. It's the woman that you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, it was a snake. It was the serpent. I was conned. I was deceived. It wasn't me. And the response of both Adam and Eve was the same. Listen, God, you don't understand. We are the victims here, right? It was the snake's fault. It was the woman's fault. God, it was your fault. It was anybody's fault but mine. What's well, my fault? I'm the victim here. I'm the victim here. Several years ago, I want to say maybe as far as a decade back, I started to hear this terminology used, and at first I was like, what, what, what's going on here? Heard this tar- terminology used, uh, creating the narrative. Have you heard people say that? Creating the narrative, right? It's like, oh, in the media, they're just creating a narrative, and this political party is creating a narrative, and this other political party is creating a different narrative. They're creating the narrative. I'm like, what does that mean, right? Because it was new to me. I'm like, what, was that? What, what is that? Well, this whole thing of creating a narrative, there's nothing new about it. It's what we human beings have been doing since Adam and Eve. Creating the, the narrative is taking some events, taking some real-life events, and then converting those events into stories. And in those stories, we cast people as victims and villains. Occasionally, a hero will show up, but not always. But this is, this is what we do. We take real life, and then we convert these experiences into stories. And in these stories, there are victims and there are villains. And guess what? We don't ever cast ourselves as the villains. 
In my story, I'm always the victim. In your story, you're always the victim. And it's so much easier to see when people outside of yourself are doing this very thing. We've all seen it. You've probably seen examples in the news. But I'm sure you've seen examples in your real life. Because we all have that friend, you know that friend, that guy that's always getting fired. And it's never his fault. Do you know this guy, right? And the first time he came to you with this sad story, I can't believe this, I'm the victim here, my employer, if he only knew what was going on, he's so cruel and he's so mean, and I'm doing the best I can, I'm doing everything right, I'm the victim here, and you felt bad for him that first time, right? And then it happened a second time. Oh, I can't believe this happened, and I've got fired again, I can't believe these bosses that I get, and she just fired me, and she told me off, and that's not fair, and I can't believe they treated me this way, because I'm the victim. And, and you felt like, wow, you've got really bad luck with jobs, don't you? And then it happened a third time and a fourth time, and a fifth time. And then you, listen, if you weren't worried about being polite, you would have said to him, um, I think you're the problem, right? Maybe you're not the victim here. Have you thought maybe that maybe you're the bad guy, right? Or so many of us, we have that friend, that female friend in our lives, and she comes to us heartbroken, and she's so sad because somebody just dumped her, and I can't believe the way he treated me, and he cheated on me, and he was so cool, and then he dumped me, and I can't believe this happened. And your heart goes out to that person the first time. And the second time, too. And when the third time rolls around, you think, wait a minute, there seems to be a common denominator here. Maybe you just have terrible tasting guys, right? Of course, you don't say that because you're polite. But see, we take these events and we convert them into stories and we cast ourselves as the victim because nobody, nobody, nobody wants to be the villain. Earlier, I mentioned how you know, we've got this central message of Christianity. We have this gift that Jesus extends to all of us, this gift of salvation, right? Receive Him as Savior, and you receive the gift of eternal life in heaven. Best gift ever, right? I mean, come on. That's the best gift ever. But the gifts that Jesus offers, the gifts that He gives to us, go beyond just that gift of salvation, beyond that gift of eternal life. Beyond that gift of salvation, Jesus offers to all of us something called the way. In fact, in the first century, the first followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. That's almost cool, right? A little bit mysterious. Ooh, followers of the way. And what that referred to is a way of life, an approach to life. A way to defy our own nature, a way to break out of this cycle of creating narratives and casting ourselves as victims, a way to live that's better than our nature, to break out of our default mode and live and be better, a better approach to life. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, he tries to teach the, the followers of the way. He tries to teach the Christians there about this way of life, this approach to life. And this is what he says in verse 16 of Romans 12. He says, live in harmony with one another, which is a command, but, but not really any instruction about how to do it. I mean, it sounds like a wonderful thing that we should live in harmony with one another. But then in verse 18, he, he gives some instructions about how we do the thing. If we could put that verse up on the screens here. Romans 12, 18 if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace 
with everyone. Now, let me tell you how to do this, okay? Because it's counterintuitive. It's not something we're going to do according to our nature or by our default mode. To do this thing, to live at peace with everyone, to do your part, is what it means to be a hero. This is what it looks like to go beyond being a victim and enter into being a hero. And it's counterintuitive. This is what it looks like. For Adam and Eve, here's what this would have looked like, okay? For Adam and Eve, when God approached Adam and said, did you eat the fruit? Adam, as far as it depends on him, could have accepted his fair share of the blame. That's what it looks like to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. To not blame his wife, to not blame God, but to accept his fair share. Adam, what is this you have done? God, this is on me. God, you told me not to do this. God, I disobeyed. I can't blame anyone else. I'm just going to take responsibility for what I've done that's wrong. I'm going to own my fair share of the blame in this situation. God, I'm sorry. Eve, what is this you have done? Listen, I know there was a snake and there's all this stuff, but this is on me, God. God, you were looking out for me. You gave me this rule. I broke it. I've got no one to blame but myself here, God. You see, that's, that's what it looks like to own your fair share. As far, listen, what does Paul say? As far as it depends on you to take responsibility for your fair share of the blame pie. Okay? Now, this is why, <clears throat> this is why I'm a terrible counselor. And some of you have experienced this. This is why I'm just lousy at counseling. Because people want to meet with me and they tell me their sad stories. And they tell me about how they've been mistreated. And they tell me about how they've been wronged. And what I do is I draw a little circle. Some of you have seen me do this, all right? I'm tempted to say, raise your hand if you've seen me. Well, don't do that, right? All right? Here's what I do. I draw a little circle on a piece of paper. And I say, okay, this is the blame pie chart. Now, own your share of the blame pie. What did you do wrong in that situation? How did you sin? How did you hurt feelings? How did you respond inappropriately? Own your share of the blame pie. Because that other person who, who wronged you, they're not sitting in front of me right now. And what do we know, parents? What do we tell our kids? You can't control other people and how they treat you, but you can control yourself and how you respond. As far as it depends on you, listen, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Do this counterintuitive thing and own how you have been the villain. And when you do this, oh boy, <laughs> when you do this, this is not a tactic. This is not, well, I'm going to say I'm sorry just in order to kind of manipulate them to own their share because guess what? It's probably not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work like that, right? To be a hero, to go beyond this victim-villain stuff, to be a hero, you need to own your fair share of that blame pie. Some of you are in some kind of conflict right now with a family member or a friend. Some of you aren't. For those of you who are, if you're not in any kind of relational conflict right now, guess what? It's coming soon. <laughs> it's, a, it's a part of life. We all know this. And so what do you do to resolve that conflict? You can't convince that person of how mean they were or how bad they were or how wrong. No, you can, you can, only, you can only do what depends on you. 
which is to own your share of the blame pie. This, hello friends, this is not our nature. This does not come naturally to us to take responsibility for how we've been wrong. You know what comes naturally to us is to notice what everybody else is doing wrong. If we want to be heroes, we need to turn our focus inward. Say, where have I failed? Where have I sinned? Where have I hurt feelings? Let me own up to that because that's all I can do as far as it depends on me. I believe that we can be heroes. And I absolutely want to sing that song by David Bowie right now. But we don't have the time and we don't have the rights. But we can be heroes. And so much of this has to do with making a choice not to respond based on our human nature, not to respond according to our default automatic mode, but to make a choice to live better, to make a choice to be better, to own our mistakes and let God take care of the rest. We can be heroes. Let's pray on that. Father God, open our eyes and show us how we have been the villains. Open our eyes to where we have been wrong. And Father, I ask that you courage and humility to look inward at our own failures instead of focusing outward on the failures of others. Father, give us the strength to break out of this victim mentality and, and give us the humility to be heroes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.